Informed Dissent, brought to you by Firearm Training Associates. Firearms Training Associates is, is a lucky company because we have been able to draft in some of the best instructors in the world. We have special operations guys, we have guys from the U.S. military, from foreign militaries that work for us. They provide a great deal of insight into self-defense. So we developed this so that our customers could come on the weekends and get the best training in the world. We pride ourselves on our civilian training. It's our armed civilian that's one of the most important things to us. We want to teach them how to survive dangerous situations. When you come through the course, as long as you're performing at a acceptable level, you're going to get a certificate that puts our stamp on it. And we take it serious when we put our stamp on there. When you get our gold label, that means that you've passed the class that you've attended. Firearm Training Associates, proud sponsor of Informed Descent. Find out more at ftatv.com. Informed Dissent. The intersection of healthcare and politics with Dr. Jeff Barkey and Dr. Mark McDonald. All right. Well, normally I'd say, Mark, welcome back to another episode of Informed Dissent on all the usual podcast outlets, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. But Mark, you're not there, are you? Bueller? <laughs> Bueller? Nope, Mark isn't here, so I'm flying solo. Mark is uh, off on an adventure. I think he's in Croatia. When he gets back, we'll hear all about the adventures of Dr. McDonald in Croatia, cruising around Europe. I think he's scouting out for a home that he's going to move out of the United States and move to Europe or move to Croatia or something. So that'll be fun when he gets back. But right now, it's just me. Now, the good news is um, I've got a fantastic guest tonight that I think you'll enjoy hearing from. And uh, I've known her now over the last few years of the pandemic. Uh, she's from Houston, Texas. And that's Dr. Angie Farella. Angie is a board-certified pediatrician, and she's got quite a story because she's been on the front lines, not just treating little people, but treating big people as well. So, Angie, welcome to Informed Dissent. Well, thanks for having me, Dr. Barkey. We were together in Sedona a few weeks back at a medical conference up there, and we um, presented with the great Peter McCullough. That was really an honor to share the stage with him. So Angie, tell us a little bit about your story because you've got a great one throughout this pandemic and how you really stepped up and, uh, and really helped out actually outside of your area of specialty, but you saw a need and, and, and filled that need. So tell us about that. You know, the beginning of the pandemic back in, you know, 2020 um, was kind of a little weird here in Texas because, you know, Texas is a pretty free state and, you know, we're warm most of the year where I am, Southeast Houston. And, um, you know, what I noticed was that our large universities in the local area, you know, um, were closing their outpatient clinics. And it was very strange to me because, you know, we're, we're used to taking care of disease. We're used to taking care of viruses. That's what we signed up for. We're, we're doctors, right? And so um, I didn't realize to the extent of how many outpatient clinics were closing. And um, I'm a pediatrician by trade, been in pediatrics for over 25 years now, and um, just noticed that, you know, patients weren't getting treatments, and which was horrifying to me. Like, why don't you ever see any patients? Like, I don't even understand this whole concept. So I refused to shut my doors. I welcomed anyone that needed help because I just, again, I signed up to be a doctor, not to be someone that cries and hides 
hides in the corner and sucks her thumb because I'm scared. Like, that's ridiculous. We've lived through five pandemics since I've been a physician in, in the last 25 years. Um, the most recent was in 2017 when the Spanish flu came through, and that was horrible. I mean, we were running around like crazy. And here in March of 2020, it was crickets. Nobody was coming in. The kids were fine. Um, but I was getting calls from their parents like, oh, I'm sick or my mother's sick or, you know, will you see grandma? Will you see aunt and uncle? Will you see our neighbor who's elderly? Um, or they don't have doctors. You know, they need refills on their medication and their doctors aren't answering them. Their doctor's offices are closed. So that's when I stepped up and I said, sure, you know, this is craziness. We have to take care of patients. Um, and so that was pretty much where I started. Um, and it just snowballed, you know, because people knew we were open and be all word of mouth. Um, and I ended up hiring another physician um, who was willing to step up to the plate as well. And we took care of patients via telemedicine all across the United States. You know, the the um, CARE Act and the PrEP Act allowed us to start taking care of patients across um, state lines. And so a lot of that was word of mouth as well. So um, I brought on another physician um, who, you know, the two of us conquered over 3,000 COVID patients um, in-house as well as on the phone um, that season, which, you know, the 2020, that's pretty much all we did was COVID in adults. And then when the uh, 2021 came around and we finally got through that third hump of COVID outbreak, um, that's when the, the um, shots started to run out. You know, they, this is when they were starting to roll these things out. And sadly, it was the first time that I had to deal with Vax injury. Um, and so um, shortly, it was like about March of 2021, I had about seven kids and four adults that walked in or called with Vax injury. You know, sudden, abrupt medical issues that occurred almost immediately after getting one of the shots. So... Um, you know, we evolved into that and, um, you know, we are also dealing with post COVID and, and long holer syndrome. Um, and then since we had so much experience dealing with all the COVID, um, it was kind of just a natural progression that we are going to take care of those patients as well. So that's pretty much what we've been doing for the last two years is, um, kind of mopping up the mess. <laughs> Did you have any concerns that you're a pediatrician and you were seeing adults that, medical board or somebody would be concerned about that? Um, pediatricians are actually licensed to see all ages, um, especially in the state of Texas. I don't think there's any restriction. No. Our insurance, unfortunately, um, might have a little say about that. But, you know, when people are seeking you out and people want help and you are embracing the fact that you can help somebody, I that was a secondary issue. I didn't really... That really honestly didn't even, I mean, people ask that all the time. And I was like, well, I didn't really have much of a choice, did I? Um, and, you know, no one else would do it, you know, and I just felt horrible. We can't do that to people. We can't just let them, you know, sit around and be sick. That's not fair. Um, the emergency rooms weren't, weren't treating people appropriately, in my opinion. I mean, we had asthmatics that were having problems in emergency rooms. I mean, that actually was what I was... Um, very funny, you know, the Texas Medical Board did do an investigation against me for a pediatric patient of mine who was an asthmatic who went to the emergency room, was not getting appropriate treatment in the emergency room, and the parents called me and said, hey, you know, we need help. So I talked to the physician. We got a transfer of care um, that was authorized by the physician in the emergency room. This is common stuff. You know, this happens all the time. Um, and so what happened, though, was that ER doc kind of got upset with me because I took over care and decided to report me to the medical board, um, which the family actually reported them back 
because uh, they were, as soon as that transfer of care went through, that physician actually called the, the CPS on the family, which is ridiculous. They called security on the family. And, you know, I didn't know of this until a couple hours later when they finally showed up in my office on a Sunday afternoon. This was a Sunday afternoon. I said, I'll just meet you at my office. I'm right here. I'll just zip over there. You know, I don't know there's too many doctors in the country that do that, right? Transfer of care was from the emergency department to you, to your office. Yes. And um, so, so, you know, you live and learn. There's little things that I learned there. I didn't realize we weren't on a recorded line, like a transfer call. Um, it was actually... There was so much going on, so many moving parts. The, I was on a speakerphone because the parent had called directly. And so the, the doctor was on speakerphone on the on the parent side, and I was on speakerphone on my side. And so I didn't realize that it wasn't called through the transfer center. So that was a big faux pas on my part because it wasn't recorded properly. But at the end of the day, I mean, the kid got better in two days. So, I mean, the kid needed treatment. They refused to do nebulizers. They refused to do bronchodilators. They refused to give the kid steroid. They Why no nebulizers on an asthma patient? Um, because they said that the nebulizers would spread COVID, which, oh, by the way, uh, she had three negative tests. So, uh, so she didn't even have COVID. Right. That was my argument. Um, apparently, they had done a rapid, which was negative, and they were awaiting the other one, and, um, which, of course, the other one came back positive, but that was after the kid left and I got report from the doc. It was irrelevant, in my opinion. Um, we needed to treat the patient, so let's just treat the patient. You know, this is what we do. And she came in, and I treated her and followed her up in a couple of days, and she was perfectly back to baseline in three days because she got treated finally. How did things resolve with the medical board? Um, so we had a hearing, um, September, I believe it was September 9th, one of those days. And um, it lasted about five minutes um, because they knew I was right. I mean, I learned through the experience because one of the, one of the things that I know, I know how I am. You know, we, we all know ourselves pretty well. And so I didn't really look at the emergency room charting until the night before the hearing because I didn't want to get like a weird bias, right? I knew it was going to be short. I could look at it. I could read it. Well, silly me, when I did read it, the entire chart was falsified. The entire chart. So there was nothing about the transfer of care written down. Um, it, they said that I told the patient to leave AMA, which was not true. I spoke directly to the physician and asked for transfer of care. She agreed twice. Um, so anyway, that was another live and learn moment because I didn't look at the chart because I didn't need to look at the chart. I knew what happened and this was silly. Um, so they deliberated for about a minute and a half and it, there was a full dismissal. Um, for all charges. So were the parents involved in giving their perspective? No, no, this was just me and the board, just me and the board. Did and you the, have an the parents, you? Um, we did, but he never saw anything so fast in his life. I think he was dumbfounded. <laughs> I mean, we, I had a strong case. I mean, this is what we do. I mean, I've been doing this for 25 years. There's nothing wrong with what I did. And so, you know, when you know that you're backed by truth and when you know that you did the right thing and the, and the patient, you know, the thing that upset me the most was this had nothing to do with patient outcome. This had nothing to do with the patient. And so this was basically a political pissing match between two doctors. That was it. That's it. And then you got an apology, I'm sure, from the emergency department, right? Absolutely not. But here's something crazy. They actually waived all charges to the family in less than 10 days, which never happens. 
Never happens. So they knew that we were on a rampage because I, when I got called by the CPS worker on Monday morning, I was not kind. Um, I was, I was livid, frankly. Um, and I, I told the CPS person right then and there, I said, you close this case immediately. Absolutely immediately. This is, this is a bogus case report. It needs to be closed right now. And they did. They closed it immediately. So, um, you know, it, this is crazy. Parents shouldn't have to go through this. They have a sick kid. They wanted their kid to be treated. They took him to the emergency room. They refused to treat him. I mean, this is simple. Sad how our world is evolving. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad it worked out. And at least it seems like the Texas Medical Board is rational, at least in this particular case. I'm not so sure I can say that about the California Medical Board. And hopefully I won't have to. Uh, have an interaction with them. Hopefully not. So you, you, you mentioned that you had some patients come in with vaccine injuries, both um, kids and adults. Did you report those to the VARA system? So we tried. Um, so um, we actually spent, I spent about an hour and a half trying to get a patient into VARA's and, um, and my partner also tried because she had a couple of calls from adults and um you know, it kept looping us, you know, you get into this like loop and um, we couldn't do it. So we, we called the patients and we're like, you guys need to report yourselves to VAERS. We can't get into the system. So I don't, I don't really understand what the, it shouldn't be that difficult. You shouldn't have to spend an hour and a half to put a VAERS report in, but I had tried and it, it looped me about five times. And after the fifth time in an hour and a half, I gave up, you know, it's like, forget this. I can't do it. I've, I've had a similar experience. It's a, it's a very, it's a very cumbersome system. It takes for hours. And some of the questions are things that you just can't answer. You need to have the lot number. You need to have the location and the date and the arm and the nurse and who gave it and this, that, and the other, and all these things. It's like, I don't know. The patient doesn't even remember that. And the details that you need to enter and the amount of time it takes, most doctors are like, I don't have time to do this. I don't have the bandwidth to do this. And as you know, there's been studies looking at the VAR system and the estimates are that it underreports by an order of magnitude that less than 1% of serious injuries are ever even reported to the VAR system. So whatever is on the VAR system, you have to multiply in order to get to an actual number. That's a true statement. And, you know, I, I saw that, um, you know, like I told you, I've been in pediatrics for 25 years. I've been giving the ACIP guideline recommendations for vaccines for years and years and years. We've never had problems. Honestly, we've never had problems. And um, it's just really strange. I mean, other than small things like redness at the site, you know, maybe a low-grade fever, but nothing like horrible. And it was immediate. These these people that were walking in my door, the, and a lot of them were my patients. Um, my previous, you know, they've been my patients for a while. They went somewhere else to get the COVID shot, and um, they came to me with all these very strange symptoms. And, you know, all of them said the same thing. This happened shortly after I got the shot. And, you know, you're talking about kids. Kids are relatively healthy. There's no, and, and the, the strange, stranger than that was the, the breadth of symptoms. I mean, think, it wasn't the same thing over and over again. It was like something completely different every single time that someone walked in the door. And it was, it was very upsetting to me because I knew what it was. I knew exactly what it was as soon as they walked in the door. Cause I've known some of these kids their whole lives. And, um, but to feel that helpless, like, oh gosh, now, now I'm dealing with something I don't even know how to deal with. Right. So now I'm, I'm scrambling to try to help them 
um, based on their symptoms and, and trying to do detoxes and trying to do cleanses and things of that nature to see if we can get them as best as we possibly can. And um, in some cases, we did pretty good job. In some cases, the patients got upset with me for mentioning that's what I thought it was from. Um, and so they they left the practice, unfortunately. I don't know, you know, their, their outcomes at this point. Um, so it's, it's a really sad state of affairs that, you know, you as a physician, I give them my best um, diagnosis, and some of them were not willing to accept that diagnosis. Um, it's just a harsh reality that it was, it couldn't have. They said it was safe and effective. It can't be that. Um, and so... You know, when you start to believe that rhetoric, it's really hard to hear any other, com you know, contraindication or, you know, conversation that's not in line with that, with that mode that you've been told for a year. So, um, you know, that seems to be slowing down significantly, at least, which is great. Um, we have, we have a lot of good news, though. We're doing a lot of great things now. We've expanded the practice. We're doing a lot of other things. So, um, but, you know... My heart goes out to the vax injured. I know that it's real, and I know that a lot of times I was like the fourth doctor that they came to um, because the other three did not believe them. Um, and so I think that in itself is is healing for some people. It's like, oh, you believe me. Thank you. Um, so I think we're, we're going to have a really interesting next couple of years with this niche in medicine now, this new niche that we never, none of us had to deal with really in the past. Dr. Ferala, you mentioned the ACIP, and that's the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices that advises the uh, CDC. And uh, about a month ago, they came out with a 15 to 0 recommendation to add the COVID vaccine on the childhood immunization schedule. What are your thoughts on that? They actually... Um voted to put it in a more prominent position on the schedule, but not as a recommendation of the schedule. So it's not like in the, the schedule itself, but when you look at the schedule on the ACIP website, on the bottom of it in a very prominent type is their recommendation for COVID vaccine for kids. Um, that to me is very dangerous. Um, there's a couple of things that I'm very worried about. First of all, it sets precedent. Okay, it's setting precedent to put a vaccine that's not fully FDA approved yet, and it's not in kids at all. Um, it's still not fully FDA approved. So now we have a emergency use authorized vaccine on a recommended and requirement schedule um, for childhood vaccinations. And that to me is dangerous um, because now anything can go on there. I mean, hey, take arsenic now, I guess. You know, just stick that on the ACIP guidelines. I mean, it's very frustrating because when you're trying to do the best for your patients, especially kids, I mean, first do no harm, <laughs> especially in kids. We do not ever experiment with children. And this is a human experiment with children. And it, and it, it really deeply saddens me and it, and it worries me to death. Um, that people are going to misinterpret the ACIP guidelines now. And even people that are very discerning, but people that don't really look at this all the time, they may not be pediatricians, so they're not looking at this. And because the rhetoric says, oh, this is safe and effective, oh, this is approved, which is false rhetoric, it's, it's false advertising. Why the FTC is not after the, the government about false advertising is a whole other situation. 
because this is absolutely wrong. It's setting a very, very dangerous precedent. Now, some of the people that sit on that committee, I have no idea what they were thinking, honestly. I, I, I really don't. And it's so upsetting. There were 16,000 comments, 16,000 comments, most of them not in approval status, to the ACIP before these meetings happened. And for them to ignore all the comments, and these are people that aren't just lay people. These are usually, most of the people that were commenting were physicians and very concerned citizens and people that understand science. And, you know, so this was not a willy-nilly crowd. Um, you know, some of our good friends, like Kat Lindley, she actually got to testify during the meeting. Um, and we also had another one, Dr. Leslie Moore, she also got to testify. So, like, we had people that were physicians that actually told the committee the concerns of a lot of physicians in the country and they ignore them. That's the other thing is there's no intellectual banter anymore between colleagues. And I know you feel this too, but that to me is very, very frustrating that I can't openly talk to one of my colleagues and say, hey, what do you think? Are you seeing this? Without some kind of propaganda flying out of their mouth or some negative connotation because I'm actually questioning something. Um, it's, it's come out. I know a lot of us have had this where our good friends and colleagues have turned on us. Um, because, you know, this is crazy. You're, it's a conspiracy theory. Of course they wouldn't do this to us. You know, it's safe and effective. And yet, unless they see something directly affect them. And even then, it's still hard for them to be convinced. You know, the myocarditis is 133% higher than it was two years ago. 133% in kids. That's that's incredible. Those numbers don't just happen overnight by chance. We're seeing now, at least on TV, that there is some sort of pandemic emergency as it relates to combination of RSV, influenza, and COVID all coalescing together. Um, RSV comes around every year about this time of year, and sometimes the, the ICUs and the emergency rooms rather fill up and get busy. And we see that all the time. Are you seeing anything different this year with RSV besides the propaganda associated with it? No, and it, it, what's unusual is we're doing tons of respiratory panels because honestly what I was seeing back in May of 2022 is we were seeing influenza in May, which is highly unusual. We don't see influenza A in May. That's not the right season. We also saw RSV in May this year. So for me, I started saying, well, I don't know what's in the community now because this whole COVID thing has thrown everything off. People's immune systems are off. And I started doing respiratory panels. So um, in the respiratory panels, which is kind of ironic, we're not picking up a lot of RSV at all. We're picking up a lot of rhinovirus. We're not even seeing a lot of coronavirus or COVID at all. We are seeing influenza A, a lot of influenza, a lot of rhinovirus. We're seeing, of course, parainfluenza virus, which is croup. That's pretty normal this time of year. Um, I'm seeing some mycobacterium, you know? So we are actually testing because I don't know what's in my community anymore. You know, we used to be able to go, okay, we know this is this is croup, so croup's going around, okay? This is, this is bronchiolitis, it's probably RSV, it's going around. But I'm actually testing because a lot of viral infections are lasting l much longer than they used to. And these are in kids that have not gotten COVID shots. These are just kids that go to school and they're just not getting better. Or they get better and three days later, boom, they get hit again, which is highly unusual for them. And I think part of it is 
the world's starting to open up and people are starting to go out and about and that kind of thing. I think that's just exposure. Um, but and I think also our our all of our seasons are now off kilter because of the whole COVID thing and the lockdowns. So I think we're we're gonna do a little bit of catch up. But I can tell you in our local community, I'm not seeing it and I'm testing. It's not that I'm not testing for it, I'm testing for it and I'm not seeing it. So I, I think there's a lot of hype. Um, we saw this, you know, in the summer of 20. Um, I actually checked the, I haven't checked the Houston numbers recently. I really do need to do that. But there's a way for us to go on to tmc.edu, which tells us what's going on in the Texas Medical Center. And it encompasses about 7 million people, population, catchment area, um, to see what the ICUs are doing. But honestly, I'm not, I'm not seeing a whole lot. And my colleagues in the area aren't aren't reporting to me that there's a whole lot going on. I mean, we're looking for it. We're not seeing it. So I think some of this is, again, a little more hype than is necessary. Do you think some of the infections that we're seeing is because, especially with kids, their immune system has been protected over the last couple of years. They haven't been exposed. So sort of like an athlete that stops exercising, uh, they get deconditioned and their immune system gets deconditioned. And then also, could it be, especially in adults, that many of these vaccinated adults, their immune systems just are not functioning properly and they're more susceptible to getting infections and then these infections linger on for longer periods of time? Absolutely. And I think you're seeing that too. We're seeing, you know, we are unique because we've always been pushing the prevention aspect. So we, you know, we try to prevent disease in our practice. So I'm, um, I'm a big proponent of getting those kids on vitamins, vitamin D, you know, even in Houston, Texas, where it's pretty sunny most of the year, I start the kids on their vitamin D regimen over the winter. Um, so we do a lot of prevention. So because of that, we don't see as much. Um, and I just think you're absolutely correct in the fact that, you know, a lot of it's exposure and their body is not used to dealing with that exposure. I think there is some issue with the immune systems being decreased in the adult population and they may be picking up things or spreading things to the children that maybe their bodies haven't seen yet. Um, that might be a, a piece of that puzzle as well. Um, we do know that there is some susceptibility when someone... Um, has their uh, COVID shot, and then we see that their immune status kind of drops off pretty quickly, um, which opens up the door to all kinds of fun stuff, especially during the winter season. The virus, this is our viral season. This is the winter season. This happens every single year. Um, this is kind of going to, this was supposed to be our heavy year for RSV anyway. It circulates about every two years pretty heavy. This is that year. So again, I think it's just, it's kind of just timing. Um, but I also think you're right that the population has, for the most part, been hiding out and now they're coming out. And with that, it's exposures that maybe people haven't seen for a while. So I agree with you 100% on that. This podcast is heard all over the country. As a matter of fact, all over the world. What's your, what's your message to parents uh, that are fearful of RSV and influenza and even lingering COVID as they're being pushed by the government to step up and get their kids vaccinated? flu shot, COVID shot, and whatever else is coming around? I have to say, first of all, use your prevention medicine, right? Vitamin D is very highly effective. Probiotics are very highly effective in prevention of disease just in general. Um, so that's number one. Do all the preventive things that you possibly can do. Number two, um, last year's flu shot was 16% efficacious, which means 
that it really didn't do very much at all and probably posed more harm than good. So I would say since we really haven't had great data on influenza over the last couple of years, you might want to skip the flu shot because it's kind of a, they just blindfolding and, and pin the tail on the donkey to figure out which strain they're putting it in this year. So I would say I, I wouldn't really expose people to that vaccine um, this year at all. Um, because again, we just haven't had much data in the last few years and the efficacy last year was horrible. I tell my patients, go play in the dirt and you'll get way more um, <laughs> immunity from the dirt than you would from a flu shot at this point. So go play in the dirt. So, and that's a true statement, actually. Go garden. <laughs> go garden, go play in the dirt. Um, you know, really try to avoid fear at all costs. Know that you are doing the best you can do no matter what. Don't cave into fear because fear is always going to cloud your judgment. And so I always tell people, Try to keep a clear mind. The way you do that is you battle fear and you get informed. When you get informed, then you don't have anything to fear. So please, please, please stay away from fear. Do not immunize your children for COVID. COVID is long gone. These immunization shots are long expired. They're against strains that have not been circulating for over a year and a half. This is ridiculous. You wouldn't serve your kid expired food. Do not go out and get them an expired vaccine. It doesn't make any sense to me. And you're like posing that. your child for, for something more dangerous than what it's worth. They've already lived two and a half years through this entire pandemic. They're probably immune. You're going to do just fine. If you've lasted this long, you're going to last longer. So you're fine. Just keep on going. And Angie, how can our listeners follow you if they want to reach out or see what you're doing? Across all social media platforms, I'm at Angie Farella MD, and that includes Twitter. You know, I don't even know half of them anymore. Gab, Getter, um, MeWe, Facebook. Um, so I'm on all those platforms at Angie Farella MD. Farella is spelled F-A-R-E-L-L-A. -L -L -A. Yes. Great. And Angie's A-N-G-I-E. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us on Informed Dissent. It's been a pleasure having you. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to Informed Dissent with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics.